I'll remind you that um, uh, this week we have our, our Christmas Eve service. It isn't ours, but it's like ours with a capital O. It's the Christmas Eve service. And we're going to do a Northport Christian Center, uh, the other in the uh, town, the church across from the market. They've invited us, so we're going to do our Christmas Eve service together. That's at 6 p.m. on the 24th of December. Okay. Sound good? Be there. Um, and also, uh, next week, I'll remind you of this again next Sunday, but starting next Monday, the 27th, uh, we'll have our uh, prayer nights at 6.30 here at the church every night next week to finish out the year in prayer. So every, every night at the end of the year and the New Year's Eve, we'll go all the way till, till next year. We'll pray in the New Year. Uh, so I hope uh, many of you will come to that. Now, uh, Luke chapter 1, um, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you for the season of Advent that we're in. We thank you for the expectation, the hope of uh, a coming Savior um, that we remember and celebrate at Christmas. We look to you still, just as they looked forward to a Messiah, we look forward to a Messiah. Uh, just as we be they believed the promise that, um, that you were with them, we believe that you're with us now. We believe your words, Jesus, that you say you're with us always, even to the end of the age. And as we, as we meet together and gather around your word and receive it, we pray that you would minister yourself to us, that you would be the gift, that you would be the value of our time here, um, that by your spirit, the, the life of Christ would be given to us. You say we have the mind of Christ, so give us that mind. Bless us, bless your church, be the blessing that your church desperately needs, and continue to help us cultivate this hope in our Savior and his confidence in the Savior who has come in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, this is the fourth week, the fourth Sunday of Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Those are the traditional themes, usually, of the four weeks of Advent. And we've looked at uh, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. We looked at Joseph, the father of Jesus. And then Elizabeth and John. And now, uh, in the final week of Advent, we look at Mary. Uh, now, when we, when we saw uh, Zechariah confronted with the overwhelming blessing of God, uh, the, the God who intended to give him more than he hoped for, and more, more than he could imagine, and, and the God who intended to bless him beyond his imagination or even his faith, we compared him to Mary, as I think Luke intended us to do. We saw some parallels uh, between the two birth announcements, both Mary and Zechariah had angelic visitors come and tell them you're going to have a son. Um, both Mary and Zechariah had questions about this, uh, but one of these characters was rebuked for a lack of faith, and the other is commended for her abundance of faith. In the next week, the second week of Advent, we looked at Joseph. We saw a silent man, right? Joseph doesn't have any lines in the whole story. He's, he's at peace with obedience. We saw a man who who recognized the holiness that was present with the birth of his son. And there was this peace through faithfulness uh, that Joseph showed us. And Elizabeth, who we, we looked at last week, we saw a celebration of joy. There was a party uh, when Mary and Elizabeth got together, these cousins, Mary and Elizabeth, rejoicing together, praising the Lord together, even prophesying together, both filled with the Spirit. And, the, and we saw the next generation, John and Jesus, both 
uh, not yet born, but rejoicing together with John the Baptist being the first to recognize his Savior even from the womb. And, and now we have Mary on the week set aside to remember that Christmas, the coming of God with us, is by definition a time of love with us, as God is love. So we'll look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26, starting in verse 26, with the announcement of the angel Gabriel, and we'll see what wondrous love is this. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and you will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, in her old age, has also conceived a son, for this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Uh, Christmas is full of angels. As we've been looking at the Advent messages at Christmas, we've been seeing angelic visits uh, a whole lot. Gabriel has been getting around, right? He showed up to Zacharias, uh, an angel of the Lord, could have been Gabriel, doesn't say, shows up to Joseph three times, and then now six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel shows up once more to Mary. And, and we've seen that the Christmas story, or the, at least preparation for Christmas, it's been variations on a theme. Right? You're, you're, supposed, you're supposed to notice the echoes. We've got the same kind of story happening a little different each time. One to, and you see these comparisons one to another. And to compare Zacharias and Joseph and Elizabeth and Mary, it's not because they're all the same. Um, in fact, one might say you compare all three in order to show that one of these things is not like the others. Mary stands out. Mary stands out in this line of hopeful saints as someone special. Now remember, if you will, first how the, the other characters in our story have been described. Zacharias, Joseph, and Elizabeth. They're all described by the same terms. Just, righteous, uh, blameless even, according to the law. Mary doesn't have any of that description. This is how she's described. Favored. Blessed. Um, it's, it's not a good translation from the Greek, but when the Bible was translated into Latin, this was full of grace. Grace is a theme here with Mary. Do you see the difference in describing her with, with the, the other guys? The gospel is a message that confronts the righteous, the law-abiding, even the blameless, with something else, with something better that stands out 
and apart from the rest of the story. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes himself in Philippians 3 as one who was, according to the law, blameless, just. He uses the same kind of uh, descriptions that are used for Zachariah and Elizabeth. He would have fit right in with these guys. Now, certainly Joseph wasn't all about like throwing people, innocent people in prison like Saul of Tarsus was. So they're not the same in every way. But I'm saying that the standards of the law, by the standards of the law, they were both just, they were both righteous, they were all blameless, and they were all empty apart from grace. That emptiness, that was a big lesson with Zacharias and Elizabeth, right? They were, they were barren. They were empty. And Mary is here as a contrast to Joseph and to Zacharias, both men who were righteous and just, but who also earned an angelic rebuke. To Zacharias, the angel says, you did not believe, and he is punished. Joseph needs to be reassured that it's okay to take Mary as his wife and not do the dumb thing he was planning on doing, which was divorcing the mother of the Messiah. You know? Those guys were righteous. They were just. They were the good guys in the story. But Mary is favored. You might even say she's favorite. Mary stands out as a unique character in the story, in every story, I would say, a unique character in the gospel story as one who brings something new to the table. And that is, of course, Mary's ministry, right? That's not a surprise. What did Mary offer the church? What was her contribution? Well, Jesus. Uh, not, not that Jesus was her idea by any means, or her creation or something like that, but in a very literal sense, Mary brought Jesus into the world. So you have all these characters, one after the other, righteous, law-abiding, just, pedigreed, qualified from the best family, from a good neighborhood. And then you get to Mary, and it just says she's favored. <laughs> Verse 28 again, uh, the angel Gabriel comes and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, this is one word in Greek, highly favored one, or favored one. It's one word, and the root of the word is the same as, as the word grace. Um, it, it actually could mean graced. You are graced one. One who has been given or showed much grace. One commentator actually said that the word for favored one could mean freely beloved, which I liked. That fits nicely with the fourth week of Advent, doesn't it? And it's true that in English, we take our word charity, an old word for love. We take that word charity from this Greek word for grace. Mary is favored, she is blessed, she is graced, she is freely loved. That's how Gabriel addresses Mary. Now you're going to get your fair, more than your fair share of word studies today because the word that the angel uses to address Mary is actually similar to the meaning of the word Mary, but you have to go pretty far back to find this. Okay, Mary is not originally a Hebrew name. Um, interestingly, if you try to get to the word, the Hebrew root of Mary, the best you can do is bitterness. From Mara. Think like in the story of Ruth, how she just called me Mara, bitter, right? Not exactly the sweetest name for your little girl, um, but that's what it would sound. It would, it would sound like the, the, the word for bitterness in the Hebrew ear. But the first Mary in the Bible, and the most famous Mary in Jewish history, is the sister of Moses, who you know as Miriam. And she was born in Egypt, after the Jews had lived in Egypt for 400 years. And in Egyptian, Miriam, or Mary, means beloved, which is exactly what the angel calls Mary. Some have even suggested that the way the angel greets Mary, it's not... Saying he's not saying the angels isn't saying you are a loved, a favored person. It's more of a title than a name, as if he's saying 
You are now known as beloved. You are graced, you are favored, that's your name. Much like Jesus calls Simon Peter, or God calls Abram Abraham, or even Paul calls the church blessed, beloved, chosen, etc. The angel comes to Mary, a name which would sound like bitter in Hebrew, and restores it to its origins and says, your name is freely beloved, graced upon graced. And that is, of course, what the grace of God does to us. It completely renames us, gives us a new identity. According to Ephesians chapter 1, that identity is one of blessed. The same thing the angel tells Mary. Beloved and accepted. More on that in a second. The angel is not afraid of redundancy. Uh, he is doubling down on this phrase, this, this uh, idea of grace upon grace. In verse 28, the word for greetings, or in some older translations it might say hail, is actually just the word grace. We talk about this in Paul's letters, when we study Paul's letters, and he starts out with grace and peace, two common greetings of the day. Um, someone might meet someone else by saying grace. But the angel doesn't stop with the common form of the greeting, because this word highly favored one, or favorite, is added. So the angel says, grace to you, O graced one. This is grace upon grace. And again, it is set in contrast to the justice and the righteousness of the other law-abiding characters in the story, none of whom it could be set up, you're the favorite. Paul talks about this in virtually every one of his letters. When he mentions his qualifications according to the law, he says he would count it as it all as rubbish, as trash, so that he could gain Christ. In Philippians 3.9, he says, and, and I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul draws this comparison between righteousness according to the law and righteousness that is through faith. And of course, we know that this righteousness through faith is tied to righteousness by grace. They're, they come out of your mouth at the same time when you read Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is a, a kind of grace, a gift, and Mary at this point is receiving a gift. Mary found favor. She was graced. She was blessed. She was gifted with Christ. And of course, there has never, ever been any other way to receive him. He is a gift to be received. Now, Mary stands out. She's different than us. None of you bore Jesus in the same way that Mary did, but she is the same as you in that the only way she received Christ, she received him physically, was because she was graced and favored. The only way you receive Christ is because Christ has been given to you as a gift. And God has blessed you with that gift. Christ is a gift to be received. And we hear the blessings, the same welcome the angel offered because we too have found favor with God. I'm going to talk about this word again. It might be the last time. I'm not sure. But this word translated highly favored, graced, it's only used one other place in Scripture, uh, this time as a verb, in Ephesians 1, verse 6. When Paul says, uh, he's saying, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And it's all about identity and, and where we are called by a new name, that of saint and chosen and beloved and blessed and adopted and it's in this context that this phrase, made us accepted, shows up. That phrase, made us accepted, is unfortunately translated simply as blessed in other translations, but this is, this is better. He has made us accepted. And that's the same word used by the angel to greet Mary, the one who God has made accepted. 
And it's by his grace that we are made accepted. It's by God's grace that Mary was made blessed among women. As Advent is a season of expectation and anticipation and hope, it represents a conclusion of the long-standing, far-reaching Old Covenant. Now, the prophets hoped, the patriarchs hoped, they longed for the fulfillment of the hopes and fears of all the years, right? But, but again, Mary, she's at the end of this line of Old Covenant stuff, and she's different. Zacharias is told, the one who will prepare the way of the Lord is coming. Joseph is told, the Lord is coming, and you're going to name him Jesus. And once again, Mary is different. To Mary, the angel says, the Lord is with you right now. It's not a prophecy. It's a simple observation. Now, this observation is, of course, an explanation of all that grace, that grace, grace, blessing, and favor that we've been talking about. What is the blessing of God? It is nothing less than the presence of God, and cannot be more than the presence of God. What is God giving his, his favor, favored people, his favorite people? Himself. That's the whole point, isn't it? This is what Joseph was promised. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord is with you. Now, at this point in time, Mary is not pregnant. That's not the presence of the Lord we're talking about here. The angel will say in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Uh, therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. But that's all future tense. For now, the angel is saying, before any of that happens, the Lord is with you. The Lord loves you. He has blessed you. He has shown you favor. He is with you. Mary is for us in this moment a perfect example of that already but not yet nature of the kingdom of God that we feel so keenly, especially during the season of Advent. God is here and God is coming. Christ has come and will come again. He has come, he will come again, and still in this meanwhile right here, he is with us. He has promised that he is with, with us always, even to the end of the age. Mary is in a meanwhile. She's in, in the meanwhile between promise and fulfillment. But in that meanwhile of old covenant prophecies, expectation, promise, and before the Holy Spirit comes and overshadows her and, and, and all of that, the, the angel says right now, in the meanwhile, God is here. God is with you. We know our focus is on Mary here at the beginning of the story. If you were to follow her through the Gospels and Acts, you see that Mary is the only disciple present during the birth of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. She's the, she's the first lady. She was first at everything. Okay? She expected Christ, then expected great things from Christ. And we hope in in some way, after the suffering of the Passion, she expected the resurrection of Christ. And then after his ascension, Mary was with those expecting the Spirit of Christ. And then after all that, Mary would have expected the return of Christ. All that to say that Mary, in her own special way, represents the church itself, the one who has received Christ and lives in expectation of him, the ones who are caught in the meanwhile. Christ has come. Christ is coming. And all this, again by grace and nothing less. As Mary found favor, as she was blessed with the presence of God, and in that unique way of actually housing God-made flesh in her womb, so now the church, Paul said, is a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Why? Why would he 
dwell with us. What have we done to deserve such a blessing? We are favored. We're blessed. We are graced. And the very nature of this grace is that the Lord is with us. God never intends on blessing anyone with anything apart from himself. Christ is the blessing. He doesn't give you things from the far reach. He comes to you and contains the blessing within himself. Now, some versions have this extra phrase in verse 28, blessed are you among women. That's in some of the old manuscripts, not in others. Um, but it does show up further on down when Elizabeth speaks to Mary. She says to Mary, blessed are you among women. So whether Mary heard those words only once from Elizabeth or twice from the angel and then Elizabeth, um, I want to mention what this means. This greeting was a lot more than a simple, hope you have a nice day. Uh, Merry Christmas and something like that. According to one commentary, this was an idiom that would mean thou art the happiest of all the women who have ever lived. If we're following Mary, seeing her as an example given to us, then how much more could this be said of the church? If God is with us, then shouldn't it be said of us, we are the happiest people who have ever lived? Peter seemed to think so. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.8, he said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter says that's for us. And if we have trouble imagining what it would be like to be filled with glory, just think of the mystery of Mary bearing Jesus, carrying him for nine months, knowing that this child would be called the son of Mary and the son of Joseph, but would actually be called the son of God. All of this, understandably, is a little bit much for Mary. Just talking about it might be a little bit much for you. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It's the greeting that strikes her as strange. She's saying, you're saying I'm favored, I'm blessed, I'm great. You're saying, why are you talking to me like this? The angel's addressing her as someone who outranks him. And she's saying, this doesn't make any sense. Um, she's never been addressed like this before. She's a poor teenage girl being addressed like royalty. So even before the bit about the baby is mentioned, she's got to be thinking something like, you got the wrong house. Like, the name's on the front. I don't know. But before she can ask the question, she's just troubled and, like, the eyebrows raising. She's like, I don't know. Verse 30 says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, redundancies are built into this equation. Uh, the word favor, again, it, it's the same root as grace or charity. So now, the angel has said, with overwhelming redundancy, Grace, O oh, graced one, you have found grace with God. <clears throat> Gabriel is saying, Mary, God loves you. He's showing his love to you. Now, if you needed to hear that God loves you, or rather, if you needed God to show his love for you, what would you look for? How would you expect that message to be communicated? I'll ask it a different way. If you expected God to tell you, I love you this much, how would he explain that? What would he show you? What token or sign of his affection would he give? Because now that the angel has called Mary beloved, or bitter, depending on your language. The most blessed, the favorite, the graced upon graced, 
and has explained the nature of this blessing as the near presence of God. The Lord is with you. He is going to further expound on the love of God, the grace of God, by showing how God intends to get this pent-up grace across to Mary and to the world. And this shouldn't be a surprise for anyone that's been to Sunday school. The answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. That's how God is going to communicate this grace upon grace. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Obviously there's enough for a a few sermons of their own here. All these messianic titles rolled into one tiny baby uh, that this young woman is going to bear. But remember, Mary is troubled. She's concerned. And this is how the angel comforts her. This long description of the king that she's going to give birth to is, is prefaced with, oh, don't worry. And this is the explanation of, this is why you don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because Jesus is coming. Don't be afraid. All will be made right by the son of David, the son of God, who will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Don't be afraid. The angel isn't saying this with the tone of, get your eyes off yourself, Mary. God's got bigger plans. He's saying, don't be afraid. This is God's gift to you. You're going to be the mother of your king. Now, again, I ask, if God were to somehow prove his love for you or explain his love for you, how might he do it? We know the answer. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He gives us his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God's love for Mary, which has been redundantly reiterated in the multiple uses of the words like blessed and grace and favor, She's shown the same way. It's the same blessing to her that God's always wanting to give. God loved Mary enough to let her have this closeness with the Son of God. Jesus is the blessing. Closeness with God. This promise that the Lord is with thee is the gift given to Mary. Once more, this is exactly how Mary is an example for us and a forerunner of sorts for every Christian. Her blessing is Jesus, so is yours. The presence of God is the result of God's favor, synonymous with God's favor. And I can say confidently to each one of you, God is with you because God loves you. The the promises to Mary are for you. The blessings of Mary are yours to take. And we know this, actually, because Jesus says this later on. When he's ministering to a large crowd of people, the house is full, and Mary and some of Jesus' family are outside, and they're wanting to get to him, and they bring messages back you know, to him and say, like, hey, can you come outside? We need to talk. And Jesus says in Mark 3.35, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. These promises are yes and amen in Christ for you, because he is the blessing. Now, of course, Mary is a special example of the closeness we have with Jesus because he was actually her son. But the love between God the Father and God the Son is exactly the kind of love that Jesus gives us. That's what Jesus prays in John 17, verse 26, where Jesus prays, I have declared to them your name and will declare that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. You 
the church, highly favored church, have been graced with the Son of God. And the love of God is poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a bit much for Mary, and it might be a bit much for you. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Good question. <laughs> Worth asking. <laughs> Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, who, the child to be born, excuse me, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is, was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The angel answers the question and then gives a sort of proof of concept by telling her the news about Elizabeth. In order to make the final point of verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Um, this is something that we've been seeing again and again with the other characters of Advent. People are, encounter the promise of God and they say, pretty sure that's too much. Could you dial it back a little bit? That was Zechariah's thinking, right? We speculated a little bit that Joseph was thinking the same thing. This could have been one of the reasons why he wanted to put Mary away. It's like, God's baby? No thank you. Like, find someone else. Too much. Too much blessing. Too much goodness. Too much grace. And when, when the angel says nothing is impossible with God, he's countering a human tendency to say that God should be moderate and that blessing should only be affordable. Right? And then he says, no, nothing's, impo nothing's impossible. He does not say nothing is impossible with God, which would have been equally accurate, of course, <clears throat> theologically orthodox. But he says nothing will be impossible with God. Now, again, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but our relationship with this unchanging God changes, and it changed at the Incarnation. What the world had seen as an impossibility would no longer be so. Just as the childless would now bear children, many other impossibilities would be overcome by the advent of the Son of God. The blind would see, the lame would walk, and sinners would be called friends and children of God. These are impossibilities. These are impossibilities that the virgin birth foreshadow, where emptiness is filled. We see emptiness and we say, this is how it is. And God says, that's a great canvas. He says, I'll make streams in that desert. This is the end of the angel's answer. Nothing will be impossible. The beginning of the angel's answer to Mary is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now this is two things, two explanations. Uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon a person, that's, that's something that we see in both Old and New Testaments. Uh, this is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. When a person is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do a certain ministry, uh, before someone does a miracle, prophesy, preach a sermon, we read that the Holy Spirit came upon them. Uh, the word overshadow here is, is used only in this verse, uh, but many early Christians pointed this out as a parallel to God's presence in the cloud in the Old Testament, an overshadowing of the presence of God. A similar word is used in Hebrews 9, verse 5, where it speaks of the Ark of the Covenant. It says, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now, to see Mary as a sort of New Testament equivalent uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, 
may seem very strange to our ears. The early church saw this pretty early on. And remember, the ark was never worshipped. It was recognized as the work of men's hands. It was only as holy and valuable as the presence that was in it, just like Mary. And far beyond Mary, just like the church, which is a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. God obviously no longer lives in boxes. He never did. God is no longer in the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God is not just overshadowing the mercy seat, nor is the presence of God contained to Mary. He is overshadowing us. And this phrase, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, just as the angel says to Mary here, Jesus will tell the disciples in Acts chapter 1 on Pentecost, when Pentecost is fulfilled, the Holy Spirit comes, and it, it, it says clearly that they received power from on high. Same language here that's used for Mary. We call Pentecost the birth of the church. It's when the Holy Spirit came, and the power of the Most High overshadowed his people. Um, generally, we say, again, that this is the birth of the church at Pentecost, and, and that's when people become Christians, if they weren't called that in a technical sense. And Mary was there in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came. It mentions her by name with, a, with 100 and, 120 other people. And you can't help but wonder whether or not Mary, who was present for all of that, was still treasuring up things in her heart, one of her signature moves. <laughs> she, you can't help but wonder if Mary, thinking that everyone was waiting for the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit to receive power from on high, said to herself, I've been here before. I've done this. I imagine Mary, who had been delighted to have this supernatural, supernatural blessing of the Son of God, being given to her, was not also delighted to see this kind of closeness and intimacy with God given to the church, given to all nations, given to every saint. Now, once again, what Mary was here, blessed, favored, spirit-filled, overshadowed, all of this would be for all the church. But the first time she heard it, it was just for her. God loves the whole world, but you need to take that personally. He loves the whole world, but be sure to take that for yourself. He loves you. He wants you. And Mary's response, I think that's what he wants to hear from you. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary says, I'm at your service, God. Now she knew what this was going to look like. She could imagine. It wouldn't be hard. It was going to look like an unwanted teen pregnancy and all the baggage that goes with that. She knew the ridicule that would come. The Gospels indicate that the ridicule associated with the birth of Christ followed her well into Jesus' adulthood, where they tell Jesus, we know who our parents are. What do you think they're saying? And Mary says, I'll take it. I'm a servant. I'll accept the will of my master. Now Mary has now been called blessed, blessed, beloved, favored, and all of that. And she calls herself servant. This is the right way to do things. Uh, she knows that this is where the blessings are. God has one favorite son, and he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. God has one only begotten son, and he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
God has one only begotten Son who is a servant, and this Son is blessed beyond everything. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mary knows that to be a servant, a handmaid, is to be blessed. These aren't a contradiction in terms in the least. Of course, Jesus lived as God's son with an eternal mindset that is fully divine. But it's not out of place to also con to, to confess that Jesus lived as a servant, and in doing so, he followed his mother's example. Mary, the mother of Jesus... Jesus, who is God of very God, is able to call, Mary's able to call herself a handmaid of the Lord and accept whatever that may bring. And at the same time, in her song of praise that would cut the start a few verses down, in the Magnificat, verse 46, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For, for behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And we are now fulfilling the prophecy of Mary, mother of Jesus, and are calling her blessed. Blessed by grace and nothing else. Blessed with the presence of Jesus because there is no other blessing. And we follow her example. We're, we're walking in line behind Mary and Joseph and the others, recognizing that there is no other blessing than Jesus. There is no access to any blessing other than grace. And we give thanks for God's blessing to us. Emmanuel, God's with us. The very presence of God Most High. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that are beyond our faith, beyond our imagination. Uh, certainly beyond anything we could earn or deserve. Jesus. We ask only that we would be living, moving, and having our being in you. That the, the blessing, which is Christ and him crucified, would be received by us. That we would be mindful of him, of this grace upon us. I pray that you would continually, by your grace, be building us up as living stones into the holy dwelling place for God in the Spirit. You are pleased to dwell with us. We are humbled by this realization and we rejoice in this truth. And we ask that we would be found worthy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.